1: It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, defeat against Arsenal in the Premier League, victory against Man United in the WSL, we look ahead to the midweek Carabao Cup tie, round up the rest of the Chelsea news and more. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Oh dear listener, not a brilliant weekend in the world of Chelsea. Many thanks to the women's team for giving us something to feel optimistic about at the start of a new week. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of the Athletics' Chelsea experts. Simon Johnson's with us. Morning, Simon. Morning. <laughs> that was about as good as we were going to get, wasn't it? Liam me fresh from Stamford Bridge, is also here. How are you doing, Liam?
2: I'm good. I don't think I can bring much more energy.
1: <laughs> it's that kind of day, I'm afraid, guys. Let's mourn. Together. Uh, we're going to start today by talking about Sunday's defeat at Stanford Bridge.
2: Corner taken by. Oh, right through and in.
3: Well, whether that's going to be Gabrielle's goal or whether it went straight in from the corner, we'll have to wait and see. But Arsenal lead the Derby at Stanford Bridge, and they might be heading back to the top of the Premier League table. The gave everything. Uh, it was a huffing and puffing performance from us without the the real quality that we need. I think uh, Arsenal deserve to win and uh, whilst the goals are
1: disappointing one and uh, over the the course of the game we haven't too much complaints with the results. So Arsenal continue to be Chelsea's bogey team. The Premier League leaders racking up another win at Stamford Bridge on Sunday as Gabriel's second half goal gave them a 1-0 victory. But what did Liam make of it in the not very good moment? Warning, this voice note contains sounds of Arsenal fans singing joyfully, which some listeners may find upsetting.
2: The gods of football narrative compelled you, Pierre-Emerick. Where were you? Four touches in the first half, subbed off just after the hour mark. And in many ways, Aubameyang's struggles summed up Chelsea's as a whole. Outplayed by Arsenal. I think it was 14 shots to five in the end. Arsenal came into this game as the form team in the league. Everyone was looking to see whether they would respond to the challenge that Man City laid down with that 10-man comeback yesterday. You have to say they did it pretty emphatically. Chelsea got nowhere in the final third. I think all of their individual attackers had bad days. Um, But you also look at the tactical battle. I think Mikel Arteta won that. Arsenal were the more fluid sophisticated team they had Zinchenko playing in midfield in possession, they had Jaka pushing up into the front line Chelsea couldn't press them but they also couldn't shut off their passing angles Uh, and when they did have the ball they really really struggled to progress it against Arsenal's press and then there were the more standard things from this fixture of late it felt like Arsenal won more of the 50-50s it felt like they showed a bit more aggression and hashtag passion uh, and in the end, too often, it felt like Chelsea could only really resort to fouling um, to try and stay in this game. I think the biggest frustration for Potter will be that the only goal eventually came from a horrendous defensive mistake. It was a terrible defending from a Bukayo Saka corner that should never have got all the way through to Gabriel. But Arsenal created, I think, enough danger elsewhere in the game Look at and think they were clearly the better team and probably good value for the, for the win. And that's the sobering reflection on the way this rivalry has gone for Chelsea. Just watching Thiago Silva and, and Cesar Piliqueta sort of somberly capping the fans on their way out, Mason Mount as well. There were boos at the final whistle from the Chelsea fans, but I think they were more frustration than anything and they were drowned out by the ecstatic cheers of Arsenal, which you can still hear away to my left.
1: Oh, there you go, Liam. Uh, it wasn't much fun, was it, basically? Uh, Arsenal had it far too easy in this game and, and it feels like this is a bit of a turning point for, for Chelsea and Graham Potter, potentially, given the online reaction afterwards.
2: Yeah, and I'd like to, I'd like to start with a story that is seemingly unrelated to yesterday's game. Um, while, I, while I was off at Stamford Bridge, my wife took Ruby, who's here on the sofa next to me, for a walk. Um, her ball ended up in a stream. She followed it in swam for a little bit, then freaked out because she doesn't swim and ultimately had to be pulled out of the stream by her collar with only her head showing above the water. And yet I think Ruby still got closer to achieving competence (laughs) than than Chelsea yesterday at Stamford Bridge. Sorry for that incredibly laboured introduction.
1: I thought you were going to say she was splashing around, taking too many touches like Kai Havertz, but no. Oof. And just for confirmation, listen, Ruby is a dog. I was thinking, oh, but
3: she kept her head above water, and it just shows you know, pay, you know you've got to keep
1: patience crying. with the
3: project. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly.
2: <laughs> Eyes on the prize. Um, yeah, there were probably better ways to go with that than I did, um, but yeah, it was an utterly demoralising day. I think from a Chelsea perspective. And that was very much the reaction that I got from my Q&A after the game as well. It was a dark, dark place. You tend to get that as well, particularly after these Arsenal defeats, because Chelsea fans really do not like losing to Arsenal. And when it happens, uh, it tends to colour their entire worldview for about 24 hours. But the the game yesterday felt different to some of the recent defeats to Arsenal at Stamford Bridge, which were primarily self-inflicted wounds. I think if you look back at the last year or two they've they've literally given Arsenal goals and given them head starts and and while you can look at yesterday and say yes the old, only goal of the game comes from horrendous defending from a corner that shouldn't have been allowed to happen it was a battering. Um, Arsenal were comprehensively the better team. They turned up with the higher billing in the league table, the higher billing in terms of expectations. And they played like they believed they're a better team than Chelsea in all aspects. Um, and they were, they were better physically. I've never seen, incidentally, a team commit 20 fouls, uh, which is what Chelsea did. It's the second most that any team has recorded in a single Premier League match this season, according to Opta. And yet still feel like they were being outbattled as well as outplayed and then there was the the fact that arsenal just seemed more fluid in their shape you know you had zinchenko moving between midfield and fullback jacka moving between midfield and the front chelsea just couldn't pick them up there were there were times when they were trying to frustrate them and still got played through far too easily and it felt like they were just hanging on often through fouls uh, for most of the game and they would have been very very lucky to get away with a draw so it was a very demoralizing day for Chelsea there are reasons why it happened that are not you know not necessarily Potter's fault but that's not going to help the way a lot of Chelsea fans are feeling right now.
1: Uh, Simon call me uh, a regular contributor to Chelsea TV if you like but is there a sense that maybe there's a bit of overreaction here I mean Liam mentions the mitigation there you've got the injuries to key players the the ridiculous amount of games Chelsea have had to play this month and the fact that that's all happening under a new coach I, I just feel like after the Salzburg game, we were talking about how brilliant everything was and how well they were playing and how good Potterball looks. And, and all of a sudden, it's time to rip it up and start again in the eyes of some. I'm not surprised at the anger of the reaction because this is a
3: this is what was always going to happen the, the moment Graham Potter hit a, a stumbling block because Chelsea... A pothole? A pothole, yes. <laughs> thank you. Chelsea replaced one of the most popular managers in their history, in Thomas Tuchel. And a lot of fans, rightly or wrongly, won't let that go. They're still angry about that. Then you've replaced him with someone that's never won a major trophy, that is not exactly exciting as a personality. Sorry, Graham, if you're listening, but he's not Thomas Tuchel in front of the camera. There's a lot of people that are just sitting there not sure that this is the right guy. Um, so, inevitably, when, when Chelsea were going to lose, there was going to be a Thomas Tuchel trending on Twitter, what is going on, etc. People need to wake up, though. Whether you think Graham Potter is... We, we don't know. We don't know whether Graham Potter is, is the right man. We won't know that until later down the line. But... This was always going to be a a long-term process. I know fans don't want to hear that, but it's the reality. Chelsea have been going steadily backwards regardless of that Champions League win in 2021, which was a miraculous achievement by Thomas Tuchel, but they've been going backwards generally as a top club since they last won the title, which is now going into a record in terms of the last two decades. Record six season. You've got other clubs that are Further along in the pro I hate using these words like process and project. It's just I'm going to talk about the brand in a minute. Um, but they're further along. And on top of that, you have to question the recruitment for a number of years. You know, that, that if you actually look at the sort of the quality of players that have been brought in, Chelsea have spent a lot, but what have they actually got for their money? And, and at the moment, you have to sort of say the summer, summer window has not had an instant impact either. So, this is not just a Graham Potter problem, is what I'm, I'm trying to say. So to point the finger at him, as terrible as Sunday was, and I'm, I'm not defending him in slightest. that was an abject performance. But it's more than a Graham Potter problem, and it's going to take more than more than a coach to fix. I think it's going to take, take a long time. And, and people, as he said after the Brighton game, it's going to take more pain before he gets it right. Um, it just doesn't feel like, and I think Liam touched it on his piece, the fans are going to have to, as, as painful as it is, they're going to have to sort of accept there are going to be setbacks along the road if Potter or whoever
2: is going to turn Chelsea around to, to being a top, so sort of competing for Premier Leagues again. It's not even just Tuchel, is it, Simon? Like, I was thinking about this this morning. If you if you think about the most important coaches of the last 10, 15 years in European football, beyond Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, They've pretty much all worked for Chelsea at some point, some for longer periods than others. But the the point is that the fans have been fed a steady diet of the most proven elite coaches in world football for a long time. And they've also been kind of institutionalised to a culture where there was never an appetite for anything approaching a sustained rebuild or a sustained build even. It was just always a constant sort of frantic, expensive retooling around a new tactical auteur in the dugout. Um, And when that ran aground, they just sacked them and appointed someone else. That is not the way it's going to be now. And as I hinted in my piece, I think there are some similarities between Potter and Arteta um, in terms of sort of bright young coaches who didn't have a lot to point to. Um, coming in, that they were the they were the people to deliver success to a top club, but there are complicating factors for Potter that didn't exist for Arteta. He didn't have a pre existing relationship with Chelsea fans. Arteta wasn't following a Champions League winning coach, and he wasn't. He was coming into a club that were ready to take that plunge because they they'd failed so spectacularly and declined for such a long period that. Arteta felt like uh, the most worthwhile swing that they could take, whereas Chelsea won the Champions League two years ago. So it it, it was always going to be more jarring. And this is days like yesterday kind of underlined the scale of the cultural change that is required now and the size of the decision that Chelsea's new owners have, have taken. And their credibility as owners is now at least in part tied to Potter succeeding.
3: Yeah, I agree with all that. I, I, and, and one of the things I, I wanted to add as well, because I did an on-the-whistle piece along with Mark Carey and um, Ollie Kay, is people forget that when Lampard was sacked, that was very unpopular. It was very unpopular. You know, Of course, there would be those that were listening to this going, no, I didn't like Lampard. The results were... We were talking about getting rid of a Chelsea legend. I mean, me and Liam absolutely copped it um, when we even wrote that he was going. And then even when we sort of wrote about the reasons why, it was, it, we came in for a lot of criticism. But we're talking about a Chelsea legend going, and Thomas Tuchel's appointment was not universally, oh, brilliant, it was all about this, oh, I can't believe Frank, you know, he's gone, the Chelsea legend, can't believe they didn't give him more time. Tuchel could have walked into a really awkward atmosphere at games, but there were no fans. There were no fans, COVID, there were no fans. Graham Potter doesn't have that. He's he's walked into replacing one of, the, as I said, one of the most popular managers Chelsea have had in recent years, and he's trying to. And you can tell the atmosphere has been pretty, pretty flat since he took over. Not sort of saying that they're turning on him, but it's kind of when he when he was sort of unveiled, when he sort of the first game, it was kind of polite applause, wasn't it? It wasn't kind of. It just feels like there's a bit of a hangover. And so inevitably, when when things go wrong, and have been particularly bad with Brighton and and Arsenal, that that there was going to be a, a fury, an angry reaction. But as I said, this is not just a Graham Potter problem. This is this is this is going to take that squad needs fixing. I mean, it dawned on me later on on Sunday when I when I looked at the team, and you look at it. I've got it now in front of me. I. It struck me at the time, but even more so later. Where is the pace in this team? There's no like you got a 38 year old, <laughs> you got a 38 year old in the middle of defence. You got, you got a 33 year old as piliqueta the back there as well. Kukurella is not exactly the quickest. In midfield, you've got Jorginho and Loftus Cheek. Okay, Sterling, Havertz wants 25 touches when he when he gets past the ball. Aubameyang, 33 year old, up top. I mean, I, I think, get me in a 100-metre race, I might keep up with him at five metres. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying, is that especially...
2: You are notoriously fast over the first five metres, though, son.
3: <laughs> well, well, you know, it depends what's on the buffet. But the... <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the Chelsea press room. But that that lack of speed was particularly exposed against a team that is full of young energy and a team that knows out of instinct, how they want to play. Whereas, I don't know whether you guys felt the same. It, it felt like every time a Chelsea player was on the ball, they were second-guessing. or oh, wh- Where's my teammate? And and dwelt on the ball just that extra one or two seconds and Arsenal player was on them. And that that sort of was most highlighted by the incident before the, the corner. When Thiago Silva was running out of the ball and he's kind of looking up and everyone's running away from him and he's kind of, uh, <laughs> who do I pass it to? And that hesitation ends up with him being robbed and Chelsea can see the corner and
1: we all know what happened there. Yeah, Thomas Tuchel never lost successive games in the Premier League as Chelsea manager, which brings this into focus a little bit more. Um, Liam, lots of people talking about how World Cup breaks are going to be good for various clubs for various reasons. I wonder if for Graham Potter, even though most of his squad aren't going to be around, just having that period of calm where he can get to know the club a little bit more, but, but also just have time to plot a course through the second half of the season could be invaluable to him and, and maybe we should, you know, forgive him these odd transgressions and poor performances based on the fact that he has been parachuted in midway through a season with a, a squad that was changed in the summer, but but not with players necessarily of his picking.
2: Yeah, I think it could be useful to him on a number of levels. I mean, Chelsea's new owners, if they knew they were going to take this course and you know, from our reporting, it seemed pretty clear they knew they were going to take this course sooner rather than later, didn't do Potter any favours by letting Tuchel start the season and then appoint Potter when they did because they appointed him on, on the brink of a brutal sprint to the World Cup where he's had virtually no time, not even just to sort of remould this team in his image, but even to kind of mentally process being Chelsea coach. You know, it's such a jarring shift from leading a club like Brighton and their fan base and the, and the scale of everything there to suddenly leading one of the big, most high profile clubs in European football and, and the expectations that come with that. I think that will help Potter just having a bit of time to think just for himself about how he wants to, how he wants to coach the team, but also how he wants to sort of put himself over publicly. He'll just have a bit more time to to think about all this stuff. It will Fairly, obviously, give Chelsea time to get players fit. And, you know, the the players that are injured, obviously, I don't think Chilwell will be back immediately after the World Cup break, but he'll be closer. Reese James might be back. You know, there there are key players that, that may well be in a position to contribute again, and that will make a huge, huge difference. And I also, I think having the World Cup in the rear view could help Chelsea as well as quite a few clubs because I you know I was struck looking at the teams yesterday. While you would probably go down player for player and say Arsenal's team was better, certainly in terms of recent form and performances, we actually have an awful lot of World Cup starters in that starting eleven and in the match day squad. And I it did cross my mind as I was writing my piece after the game, even if you know that wasn't a conscious thing you know i i don't necessarily subscribe to oh the players didn't try you know when you see performances like that because i don't think it's primarily about effort but i do think even subconsciously they've all seen the injuries that have happened to certain players that have ruled them out of the world cup in the last few weeks subconsciously would that have a little bit of an effect on sort of dulling their edge for a game like this i just think there are there are a lot of players in this chelsea squad that are pinning a lot on the World Cup and and once that's out of the way then they can fully focus on, on on Chelsea matters this is a very unusual season it's a very unhelpfully timed international tournament and I think it is having lots of different ripple effects some of which are not immediately obvious
3: And I know Matt you've set us a task of it almost feels a fruitless task to be honest given what happened last last week of picking our team for Man City because I was ignored. I thought for briefly, I thought he was, he'd was listen to the show because he, he was training uh, Lewis Hall and Dion Rankin and then didn't pick them. But hindsight, you know, I, I can be accused of captain hindsight, etc. But if you're going to play a strong team in a dead rubber, then you have to win the next game as well. <laughs> You know, a game that actually mattered more, and it and again that was the other frustration of yesterday. They looked flat. They looked lacking in energy, and a lot of these players. And I think Liam's piece post zagreb kind of was was about this subject. You just think, you know, as Aspeliqueter started against Zagreb I mean, I know I appreciate I appreciate that bodies are a bit low at the moment because of injuries, but. Chalaba, Jorginho, uh, Sterling, Mount, Havertz, Abamyang, all started against Zagreb. Played yesterday. Thiago Silva, why on earth did he come off the bench in midweek? I, I don't get that one. This is a guy, he's so, suddenly coming under a bit of criticism for his form, and of course, was partly blamed for the goal, although, as already touched on. Um, the fact that no teammates were helping him, giving him a passing option was part of it. But inevitably, this this guy is showing some signs of um, being human because he's playing every single game. And here was an open goal to give him a rest, a complete rest. And he comes off the bench. I, I, I just found that baffling. And um, as I said, watching how sort of listless... So many of those players were on Sunday, then took me back to Wednesday night and just going, yeah, great, beat Dynamo Zagreb in a dead rubber. But this was the game that really mattered because Chelsea were already through as group winners.
2: In Potter's defence with uh, the silver decision in midweek, I think it might have been influenced by worries that Koulibaly might have had a knee issue. I think that might have fed into that substitution. And he basically has three centre-backs at the moment, doesn't he, that's fit. I can't remember the last time Trevor Chalaber didn't play 90 minutes, by the way. I think he's played eight or nine games in a row this entire incredible October stretch. It's it's a minor miracle Chalaber hasn't got injured um, playing this many minutes. Great for his career, obviously, but um, his body has been pushed to the limit. Potter was asked about this um, more in regards to Mason Mount in his post-match press conference, saying basically, why did you play Mount for 90 minutes? He looked a bit flat today. And he said specifically with regards to Mount that Mount likes to play, to be in a rhythm of matches rather than to be rested. And he made a reference to looking at the Dynamo game as almost like a training session, kind of preparation for Arsenal. Obviously didn't work, but that seems to have been the thinking but as you say Simon when you do that it will all be interpreted through the prism of what happens in the game next and you know what happened against Arsenal was pretty much as unflattering as it gets
1: Yep not a good day for Chelsea that's for sure Uh, Right that's enough misery for the moment we'll talk the Man City game later but we're going to punctuate all this disappointment with some good news because the women's team had a big win on Sunday we'll talk about that next as far as Cuthbert all
3: the deflection takes the ball past Erks and takes the game for
1: sure away from Manchester United now three goals for Chelsea and now three points for them as well Trust Chelsea FCW to put some joy into an otherwise dour weekend then. They won 3-1 away at previously unbeaten Man United in the WSL on Sunday. Uh, It was scoreless for an hour until Sam Kerr punished a mistake in the United backline to score her third league goal of the season. It was also the first United had conceded in the league. Lauren James doubled the league goal back at her old club shortly after Alessia Russo Threatened the United fight back by halving the deficit, but Aaron Cuthbert sealed the win late on. It means Chelsea go above United into second. They're level on points with the leaders, Arsenal, but they've played a game more than them. Um, Liam, have we made enough of the fact that Chelsea have won all six matches without Emma Hayes? I mean, she calls them mentality monsters and and they've not just been narrow, lucky wins. Most of them have been thumping wins. And this one was away at a team who hadn't even conceded a goal before this match. No wonder she wants to
2: come back. They're playing her out of a job. (laughs) No, only joking. Um, I, I think it is a great reflection on the professionalism of the whole operation that she's built there. That you know you can have something like what she's been going through that is completely unforeseen. You know, very hard to plan around. But you have Paul Green. You have the staff that he has around him. You have this this squad of extremely experienced players with a great um, a great feeling between them in the dressing room, and a great spirit and a great desire to to win year after year that that transcends whether the the head coach is there or not every single week. I think I think that that is just as much of a compliment to what Emma Hayes has done as as what she achieves when she's actually on the touchline. I would have liked to have seen her do like the sort of uh, the Michael Jordan, the classic Michael Jordan on Twitter, and just put "I'm back" rather than uh, she she had like a, a quite an eloquent tweet of like, I, just, I can't watch from the sidelines anymore. I can't take it. I, 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 I need to be involved again. But um, I'd imagine her affection for this group has only grown by how well they've responded to a bit of sort of adversity from an unexpected quarter um, and a very sort of human quarter. So it was it was a very impressive win against United. Very well taken goals, particularly from from Sam Kerr and Lauren James, who kissed the badge against their former club. Remarkable touch, um, yeah, and and now they're they're in a position with, which they've actually been quite familiar with. I think in the last couple of years of being slightly behind Arsenal, but having them well in their sights in in the sort of early to midpoint of the season, I think they'll fancy their chances.
1: Simon not, not to bring everything back to the men's team but we've spoken on the pod and other people have too about how Todd Bowley and Clear Lake look at Brighton and their model and there's aspects of what Arsenal do that they like and want to copy with the young players etc I mean the blueprint for them is there with the women's team the way that's run and, and how that operates isn't it it's just a it's a perfectly oiled machine that has somebody at the helm of it who's been there for a long time commands the respect of everybody and even when they regenerate by adding new players they tend to work out well they get their recruitment spot on they get the results and they win trophies so there's a model within the club already to to base what you're trying to do with the men's team on
3: yeah I mean it's the, the media I mean they themselves keep name dropping the women when, when they're talking about their ambitions and and they're not just their ambitions on the pitch but their ambitions to to make money like they sort of see the women's team as being uh, very undervalued by the previous regime and and thinking there's a there's a big cash cow to exploit, but it's also the style of football that they play. It is it, also something to try and emulate because they do play a, a very exciting style of football. The goal that Lauren James scored was it was a case in point. Um, seems to have a, a an understanding with Sam Kerr that the way she took it first time, stroked it in the bottom corner, it was delightful. But the, the, the caveat to all of this, of course, is that the competition in the men's game is getting, it feels like it's getting tougher and tougher every year. Now you've got sort of, just when you sort of think, oh, you only got Man City and Liverpool to worry about, along comes rejuvenated Arsenal. You've got Newcastle um, suddenly, you know, with all their investment, etc. Um, of course, the women's game it is still growing. And, and I think it will, you know, inevitably there'll be more investment in other clubs. But I would sort of say that, you know, there's not a direct correlation because the men's game is getting tougher and tougher to compete at the top, as, as Graham Potter's finding out.
1: Well, there's an international break uh, for the women's team next week. So they're back in action on the 20th of November and they're playing at Stamford Bridge. Looks like Emma Hayes will be back for that one. It's against Tottenham. You can get tickets for it now. All right, we'll turn our attention to the Carabao Cup next.
2: FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX,
1: stream on Hulu. Uh, It's November, but Chelsea are only this week beginning their League Cup campaign. The Blues have the not at all daunting task of going to the Etihad to face Manchester City on Wednesday night. I've asked Liam and Simon to pick a team. I've done the same. Let's get uh, some formations first. You you sticking with a back four for this, Liam, or are you going wild and crazy and... and Picking something that we've never even heard of.
2: I, I'm torn between. I mean, I didn't actually. I'm, I'm doing this on the fly in my head. I'm torn between a back four and a back three, just because a back three means picking every fit centre back, mm. which which feels a bit hairy. But I might do that anyway because it makes it a little bit easier to get Dion Rankin in the right wing back, which I think would be quite a nice. I think if you had Dion Rankin at right wing back and Lewis Hall at left wing back with a experienced back three behind them, probably of... Uh, obviously Mendy in goal, sorry. Should have started from the back back. <laughs> Not Bernelli, come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is his moment. I think probably Azpilicueta, right centre-back, Silva, centre-back, Koulibaly left centre-back because Trevor Chaliban needs some sort of a rest. But then you, you can get that little infusion of youth from Hall and Rankin, who I think both deserve a little bit of shine. And then midfield, I, they do seem to be managing Mateo Kovacic very carefully at the moment. Um, so I, I suspect he probably won't start this one with a view to maybe starting against Newcastle. But I think Denis Zakaria should probably get another run out given how well he played against Dinamo. And, I don't know, perhaps Connor Gallagher. I don't know whether that's too much of an untested central midfield pairing. I feel like you're you're kind of on a hiding to nothing against City no matter what team you pick. So you may as well go a little bit experimental and, and just see how things work. And then the one the one absolute non-negotiable up front is I want to see Armando Breuer. I think he, he needs the minutes. He's looked bright every single time he's played, I think. Uh, Pulisic from the left because I think generally when he's come off the bench he's looked lively too and maybe this is a chance for uh, Hakim Ziyech to have a glorious farewell to his Chelsea career but they, they do need some sort of fresh legs and that, and that would constitute as much as anything else a a reaction from Potter to what we saw against Arsenal.
1: All right, Simon, I'm going to give you mine and then we'll see how many uh, we both match up with. I'm I'm sure we've all got ranking in there. I've gone 4-2-3-1. I have gone Bettinelli in goal. Just because why not let him have another game. I'm going back for Rankin, Koulibaly, Loftus-Cheek and Zach Sturge. This is very rogue. Uh, the two Ooh, holding nice. midfielders are Zacharia and Jorginho. <laughs> then I've got a, a front three or, you know, three behind the striker of Ziyech, Amari Hutchinson and Lewis Hall with Breuer up front. Um, does that excite you and does it reflect your team in any way whatsoever?
3: Uh, I I like I like Zach Sturge because I, I I was struggling with the um I was struggling with the defect because I'm still scarred from last week's complete <laughs> snub. Uh, it seemed of of my team by Potter. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, there's also that th- fear in the back of your mind, and and this is kind of where Potter was coming from, I think. Oh, what if these young kids you put them in and they have an absolute, you know, battering. And it destroys their confidence. And the difference is Zagreb at home in a Champions League dead rubber was perfect. Because they were never going to test. But Man City, yes, they're going to obviously rotate. But it's still Man City. And and you do worry like ba- Bash, for example. Ba- Bashir Humphreys could have come in. Um, but most of the names are pretty much the same. I, I got to nine and I was sort of figuring how, how on earth am I going to fit all these guys attacking players in what I would say is I'm changing his name now and I can't take credit for this uh someone messaged me after the Zagreb performance said we should call him Zach <laughs> so I'm going I'm going but he scored a t- goal <laughs> well well I was there to see Zach uh the the Makaleley uh at Spurs and it was a tremendous half Half volley from outside the area. Although Chelsea lost that game, uh, sensationally. Um, anyway, I've gone off on one of my tangents, but uh, <laughs> but whatever happens, Zakalee in the middle of the pitch, and and arguably, you know, given how he played um, the week before, you know, he, he's he's just making a little statement about perhaps he should be playing a lot more than than he has been.
2: So before we go any further, can I just caveat these these predicted elevens or wish list elevens, whatever you want to call them by saying that if Carney Chitwamika is fit, I think he'd be in my team. I don't know whether he'd be in Simon's team as well, certainly someone we want to see more of, but we haven't had any indication that he will be risked um, as a result of that hamstring
1: issue. Yeah, it looks like he might not play um if you don't know Zack Sturge. By the way, Chelsea signed him from Brighton in the summer. Uh, He is a left-sided defender, primarily left-back. So you'd think Graham Potter will have some prior knowledge of him, which might help his cause. But we shall see whatever happens in that game. We'll look back on it in our Thursday pod. Uh, Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-18s had a 3-1 win at Derby in the Premier League Cup. Despite that, though, they are out of the competition, having not finished the group stage as one of the best-placed runners-up. The under-21s play Spurs. Tonight for us, Monday for you, we'll let you know how they got on on Thursday's pod two. All right, that'll just about do us for today. But Liam, I want to hear what you've got up on the Athletic now and what you've got planned for this week, please.
2: Well, so there's my match piece um, uh, from Stamford Bridge yesterday on the big test of patience with Potter for Chelsea and Chelsea fans. As I said last week, I'll be providing instant analysis on the folly of instant analysis that is the Champions League round of 16 draw. Uh, so check out the Athletic for that, and there are just a few other projects that we're working on. Uh, can't say too much at this point, but stay tuned to the site.
1: Uh, Simon, you're going to go up to Manchester for the game on Wednesday night, right? And Newcastle, I'm I'm here for the for the pre-Christmas cheer. Uh, <laughs> have you got have
2: you got like train loyalty points or something? Why did you volunteer point. for this back to back?
3: Because. I wanted the last fix of Chelsea I possibly could, before uh, before we have to suffer the misery of England's World Cup, uh, <laughs> which I'm very really optimistic about, as you can tell. But um, but no no, too massive. It's going to be fascinating these games. So yes, I'm doing peace from both these games, much to the delight of the readers who, uh, when I tweeted out that Man United was my last home game in 2022. There were people celebrating uh, on my Twitter feed, they were thinking that, that that was it from me and then i I had to let them down gently by saying, "I'm still doing away games <laughs> and uh, they they posted um, they posted gifts of of people celebrating and then having their celebrations cut short in reply.
2: Their joy also evaporated when they realized that meant more of me.
1: well look if you're up at the Etihad on uh, Wednesday night go and shake Simon's hand and tell him how much you appreciate all his content in audio or written form he would appreciate it uh, very much I'm sure we're going to be back on Thursday when we'll talk about who Chelsea get in the Champions League draw as pointless as it is and we'll reflect on whatever happened at the Etihad plenty more besides too. so join us for that if you can hope you have a good week until then from us all though it's bye for now
0: an official partner of The Athletic.